0: I told the band earlier this morning that I think Easter Sunday is hands down one of my favorite days of the year to sing and leaves me a bit out of breath to preach. <laughs> so I think what we will have to do is not save all of those resurrection songs for Easter because as we've heard at the beginning of the meeting, it's not as though the Lord Jesus Christ is alive and reigning one Sunday out of the year. He's alive and reigning every day of the year every day every day again I want to welcome you if if it's your first time Um, particular I know that on Easter Sunday there's a lot of different things that can bring you to church Uh, family could bring you to church a sign out front could bring you to church Um, your mom or dad could have brought you to church talked you into church twisted your arm it's coming to church Uh, maybe you were bribed with a promise of a paid lunch afterward I don't know But regardless of what brought you, um, my prayer, our desire, is that you would experience Jesus Christ. And that the resurrected one that we've been singing about would move in your life and touch your heart and open your eyes to repent of your sin and trust him as your Savior. Uh, That's our prayer. That's our desire. And if you would like help in either understanding more about who Jesus is, how you could get involved in the church. Um, I want to direct your attention to these little Connect cards. You may have seen them around the room or on the back when you came in. Um, if you're a guest here, just been coming a couple weeks, I want to encourage you to fill this out. You can drop it off at a desk in the foyer afterward, um, or you can drop it in the offering basket later on today. And if you fill that out, you also get a $10 coupon off anything in our bookshop. Um, so I encourage you to do that. We are not going to sell this information to a marketing company, okay? The only reason we will use this is to give you a call, send an email, whatever you prefer, and just find out how we can serve you. Thank you for coming. Uh, We don't want you to drift in here and drift out without experiencing God's care. So please make that a priority. right, if you brought a Bible, you can open at church to the book of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 15, and as we do that, the 5 to 11-year-olds, if your parents wish, can head out to your classes. We take a break in the middle of our service, typically, so that they can join us for song. You all are so dressed up. I love it. I have three boys, and so they don't quite pull off the dress-up look, though. My wife did, very, I think, a pretty good job this morning getting what clothes she could on them. Parents know what that's like. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, risen one, alive right now, we call upon you as your people and pray that you would do what you are so good at doing and you would open up your word to feed our souls. There is a physical hunger that for many of us will be satisfied in a few hours with a big lunch or a big dinner. But Lord, I'm very aware right now that in all of us, there is a spiritual hunger that only you can satisfy. Only you can do it. So I pray today that you would enable us to say, either for the hundredth time or the first time, Lord, there is no one in heaven that we desire besides you. And there is nothing on earth that compares to you. You are the strength of our heart. You are our portion forever. And we pray that today we would experience that all over again through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, ten years ago in January, the Telegraph, a, a United Kingdom newspaper... I ran a story that caught my eye as I was poking around online, and the headline read as follows, climber saved after eight hours hanging on a rope. I've done a a good bit of backpacking, not so much mountaineering, but I've been outside enough to know that's a big deal. A Scottish correspondent wrote the following. A climber was left hanging on to the end of a rope for eight hours in freezing temperatures after falling 150 feet during an ice climb. He was attached to two companions when he fell past them, leaving them trapped on a ledge and unable to help him. All three were saved by an ice screw one ice screw that held the weight of the experienced mountaineer. The climber who was left hanging 500 feet above a gully had just completed the hardest part of his ascent when he fell after putting his ice axe into a slab of ice that broke away. The mountain rescue team was called in and found the men stranded in a position where a helicopter could not hover. And John Allen, leader of the rescue team, said it was a very difficult rescue and the climbers who did not want to be named We're very lucky. We located the two guys on the ledge, hoisted them up and secured them. We then went down for the third guy and managed to haul him up with four guys pulling on the rope. The climber who fell had a terrible fright. (laughs) No joke. (laughs) And was quite traumatized, but was very fortunate to escape injury. It might have been a very different story, this rescue team said, if they had spent the night there as blizzards were coming in. It's spring enrichment, but I want you to imagine for a minute what that must have felt like to be that climber. Clinging to the end of a rope for eight hours, 150 feet down where you should be, and 500 feet above a gully. With a thin strand of nylon keeping you from certain death. Now, I wonder what, what kind of thoughts were going through his mind. Was he, was he thinking about his wife? Was he thinking about his kids? Was he overcome with, with regret you know, as, as his life just for eight hours went before his eyes? You know, amidst all the chaos, I'm, I'm pretty sure that one thought was louder than all the rest. Don't let go of the rope. <laughs> right? Hold on to that rope. Don't let go. Hold the rope. Don't let go of the rope. Hold fast. I've never been ice climbing, but I think it's safe to say that if you choose to do that, you're partially crazy because you're, you're assuming a significant risk of encountering a crisis. You really are. But I don't, I don't think you have to hang from the side of a mountain in order to feel like your life is on the line. You don't. You know, the, the stress of, of things like a chronic illness or divorce or a custody battle or just relational conflict and, in general, unpaid bills, that stuff is enough to leave many of us lying awake at night wondering, am I going to make it? You know, there are those times, we don't always talk to each other about this, but you know, where it's quiet and in your mind you're thinking, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know. And I don't know, friend, what sort of crisis you're facing right now, what sort of of trouble tempts you to feel like your life is, is hanging by a thread. So fragile. But I do know this. I do know this. I believe the Lord has a word for you. No matter what that situation is, salvation comes to those who hold fast to the gospel and refuse to let go. Salvation comes to those who hold fast to the gospel, like that climber, and refuse to To let go who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us through his life, death, and resurrection is our only hope of salvation in every situation, every circumstance, and every trial. And that means that in every situation, every circumstance, and every trial, the one thing we must do more than anything else, the one thought we must focus on more than all other thoughts is this. Cling to the gospel. Hold fast and refuse to let go. It's like that rope holding that guy. Without the gospel, we have no hope. But with the gospel, we have a hope that is stronger and deeper and truer than you could ever imagine. So my exhortation for you on Easter Sunday 2016 is very simple. Very simple. Kingsway, hold fast the gospel hold fast to the gospel whatever's going on hold fast to the gospel and refuse to let go hear the word of the lord first corinthians 15 verse 1 now i would remind you brothers apostle paul says to the church in corinth i would remind you of the gospel i preached to you which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, note that well, what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So whether then it was I or they, so we preach. And so you believe. Kingsway, I want to point out these verses, three reasons that the Apostle Paul gives us for why we must hold fast to the gospel and not let go. That's his goal. Why should we hold fast to the gospel and not let go? Here's reason number one. The gospel is the centerpiece of God's saving plan or the epicenter of God's saving plan. It's the first reason. In verse 1, Paul says, Corinthians, there's something I need to remind you of. Why does he say that? Because they forgot. They forgot. What he's about to say is something they've heard before, but like us, they're prone to forget things that are really important. It's like the end of a day, if you're a married man, when you're lying in bed and you're thinking, I know there was something really important I was supposed to talk with my wife about today. But all I can think of, wow, that's power. All I can think of is that song on the radio. Ever had that experience? You know there's something really important that you're supposed to remember. But all you can remember, all you can think of is something trivial. I think we have a knack for remembering what's trivial and forgetting what's critical. What's critical? It's not a bad definition of a human being. We we remember what's trivial and we forget what's critical. The Corinthians did too. And if they needed a reminder, then you bet you and I do. You bet we do. They needed to be reminded. We need to be reminded of the gospel. And thankfully, Paul gives us a definition here. It's really simple. And at the same time, no sermon will exhaust its, its depth. So look at verse 3. Paul defines the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ, what? Died for our sins. That he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day. Okay, the most important thing that you can notice about every one of those statements is they're all about Jesus most important thing, all about Jesus and his work. Because at the core, that's what the gospel is all about. It's about Jesus. The first thing Paul says about the gospel, three parts of this definition, the first thing he says is that Christ died for our sins. I want you to think about that for a minute, because we live in a world that is full of people who all claim to respect Jesus. So Muslims claim to respect Jesus. Hindus claim to respect Jesus. Agnostics claim to respect Jesus. I mean, and, and you think about it, why wouldn't you? Here's a guy who brings some really poignant moral teaching. He cares for the downtrodden, he cares for the sick, and he, and he cares for the poor. Why, why would you not respect a guy like that? And Jesus did those things and is worthy of our respect as a result. But friend, that's not all he did. That's not all he did. And Paul would argue, and I would argue, that's not the most important thing he did. He did all of those things, but all of those things are not at the core of his mission. They they point to the core, but they don't constitute the core. So what's the core? What's Mark ten forty five? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to what? To give his life. As a ransom for many. Or as the prophet Isaiah foretold. Hundreds of years before Jesus showed up. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. What's that mean? It means, friend, that the most important thing. That with the Corinthians you can remember about Jesus. Is that he died for your sins. Most important thing. He satisfied the penalty we owed. The penalty of death and atoned for our sin and made a way for us to be reconciled to God. That's why when Paul refers to Jesus, he says he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's he's the chosen one, the promised one that, that would make all right that sin made wrong. Starting with our relationship with God and extending to all creation. The gospel says more than anything else that Christ died for our sins. He died so we wouldn't have to die. Here's the second thing. What's the gospel? Christ died for our sins. Second thing. Christ was buried. Now, at first glance, you might think, well, hold on. I mean, isn't it fairly common for people to die to be buried? I mean, why say he died for our sins and he was buried? Why, why is that important? Well, friend, it's important because it tells us that the Christ didn't just die in some sort of spiritual sense. It wasn't as though he just dissipated into to thin air. The fact that, that his physical body was placed in a physical tomb means that he had a physical body. He had a human nature. And at that point, when he was crucified, his physical body ceased to live. The fact he was buried reminds us that Jesus, like us, was was a real man, a real man. It wasn't just a religious idea, Mark that well, or an ethical principle or, or an inspiring legend. You know you, we, we hear those things. He was a real historical figure. And I would add one of the most well-documented historical figures at that. And when he was placed in a tomb, he was placed in a tomb just like we placed our loved ones in tombs today. The gospel says that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and finally that he was raised. He was raised. Now, the word Paul uses in that verse, he was raised, is really, really important. Let me explain why. Okay? When he speaks of Christ's death, Paul simply says, it happened. Christ died. That's the verb he uses. A verb that just says, something happened. Okay. When he speaks of Christ's burial, he simply says, it happened. He uses a verb that means, it just happened. But when he speaks of Christ's resurrection, he speaks in the perfect tense. Don't don't get hung up on the language stuff. What that means is he uses a word that says there's something that happened in the past with present consequences. Why does he do that? Because Jesus Christ didn't just rise from the grave 2,000 years ago. He's alive today. He's alive today. Paul says he died for our sins, he was buried, and presently he exists in a state of being raised. That's his point. We're not just talking about things that happened when we get to the resurrection. Yes, he was crucified. Yes, he was buried. But you know what? He was raised then and he's still raised today. Today. March 27, 2016, Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning as the risen Son of God. Today, as Revelation 118 says, Fear not, Jesus speaks, fear not. I am the first and the last, right? And the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. When Jesus died and was resurrected, his resurrection proved that his sacrifice was sufficient to atone for the guilt of our sin, to conquer the power of our sin, and one day to do away entirely with the presence of sin. But until that day, at this moment, he's holding the keys to death and Hades. Think about that. You know, to us, death and Hades are an irreversible door. When we die, we walk through that door, and we don't see people again. Right? If you've lost a loved one, and and today that memory comes back to you, and you realize they walked through a door when they died, and they never came back through that door. You know what Jesus did? He unlocked that door from the inside and walked right back out. He did. He did. Death death couldn't hold him. That's why he says, I have the keys to death in Hades. Okay, I'm going to go through that door. Yep, you know what? Then I've got a key. I'm going to unlock it and go right back out. Because it couldn't hold him. He has the keys to death. Death was not the final word for Christ. And friend, if you trust him as your Savior, death isn't your final word either. He died for sins, he was buried, he was raised. That's the gospel. And Paul says, mark it well, that that, all I've just said, is a matter of first importance. Why does he say first importance? Because he doesn't want us to think that the gospel is just a matter of, of occasional importance, or minor importance, or initial importance. It is always the matter of first importance. Well, why, Paul, why is it the matter of first importance? Because of verse 1. Look at verse 1. If you're a Christian, then the gospel is, Paul says, that which you received, listen, in which you stand, listen, and by which you are being saved. In other words, it's the gospel, if you're a Christian, that changed you in the past, that's changing you in the present, and that's always going to be changing you in the future. So, So why would Paul say... That it's through the gospel that we are being saved. How does the gospel presently today, March 27, 2016, save us? How's it doing that? It's simple, friend. It's simple. Any area of growth in the Christian life only happens as you learn, as God helps you, to apply the gospel to that area of life. That's the way we grow. If you want to grow in an area of your Christian life, then you learn by grace how to apply the gospel to that area of life. So, so I'll give you an illustration. Okay, well, What is it that can transform you and, you and me from being men and women who are fearful about tomorrow to being men and women who are confident about tomorrow? What, what can do that? Well, it's the gospel. Why do I say that? Well, because it's, it's the, God's promise to us that if he would lay down his life for us, if he would die for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You, you want to grow in your confidence for tomorrow? Well, you need to look at what Jesus has done with you. You need to remember the matter of first importance and know that if my heavenly father would do that, if he would forgive me and wash me and cleanse me and adopt me, he can pay that bill. He can, he can save my kids. He can reconcile My marriage. He can cleanse me of pornography. Do you see? The only way we ever grow is by applying the gospel in a greater way to our areas of our life. Everything we long for and spend ourselves trying to find is ultimately found in Jesus. Jesus. It's the first reason we hold fast to the gospel. It's the centerpiece, the epicenter of God's plan to save. Here's the second. Here's the second. And this may surprise some of you. Maybe you've never heard a preacher talk about this on Easter Sunday, but I'm going to. Here's the second. Why hold fast to the gospel? Because the gospel is historically reliable in every respect. Every respect. And I think that this point couldn't be more important in an age of skepticism. So track with me here. Maybe, maybe you've heard everything I've said so far, and you think to yourself, I sure wish all of that were true. I mean, I would argue if you're, if you're a skeptic, if you don't believe that Jesus actually rose from the grave, you really ought to. You should believe it. You should want to believe it. I mean, who, who wouldn't want to live with the confidence that death isn't a final word? But, but how can I believe that? If the resurrection is not something that I've experienced personally or witnessed personally. I mean, isn't that where the skepticism can come from? Is we think, well, okay, you say Jesus was resurrected from the dead. You know, accessing life experience folder. I've never experienced that or witnessed that. That's hard to believe. Right? I mean, maybe as a Christian you've even thought that. Well, friend, I have an answer for that question. God has an answer for that question. Okay, And it's very simple. Why do I believe that Alexander the Great was a real person? Who conquered a majority of the known world? Or why do I believe that Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel? Or that, or that Christopher Columbus was, was one of the first European explorers to reach the Americas? Why do you believe those things, skeptic? Well, I think we believe them because eyewitness testimony confirms that they occurred and some of those eyewitnesses recorded their experience in the form of writing that it could be passed on and believed by future generations. We don't have any photographs of Christopher Columbus. We don't. We don't, we don't have any, you know, videos, mobile phone, Alexander the Great. Probably wouldn't want one. <laughs> But yet we believe, without the slightest hesitation, that he was a real man and he really did all those things. We do. Here's what Paul's saying in First Corinthians fifteen. It is for the same exact reasons you had better believe that Jesus Christ was a real person who lived and died and rose from the grave. Same reasons. That's what Paul's doing. what What does he say? Then he appeared to Cephas or Peter, and then to the twelve. Look back at verse 6. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom, Corinthians, are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Why would Paul say that? Because he's daring them to do something. He's challenging them to do something. He's saying, Corinthians, do your homework. Do your homework. Put on your history hat. When he tells them Christ was raised, he's not trying to con them into believing some myth. He's proclaiming a historical fact. And it's so factual, Paul says, that you can take your pick of more than 500 people who saw the risen Savior after he'd been buried in a tomb. Go do that. Go do it. Why would Paul say that, friends? Why would he say that if the resurrection wasn't true? I mean, it wouldn't have been hard for the Corinthians to travel. You know, the Pax Romana would have been easy for them to go throughout the Roman Empire. If it wasn't true, Paul just undermined all his credibility. If you want to try to con people into thinking that you know what you're talking about, you don't tell them to talk to others. You say, trust in me. Trust in me. Right? But Paul didn't do that. He said, go talk to people. Do your homework. Paul's words in 1 Corinthians prove that the resurrection wasn't a legend created by later generations of Christians who missed Jesus. Thinking about it, John. (laughs) Thinking about it. And so many people, so many people believe that without ever thinking through, do I have good grounds for believing that, that Jesus was just this legend? You have to ignore world history to hold that position. The burden of proof is more on the skeptic than on the Christian. Know that, friend. Know that. And on days you think, Lord, did I just con myself into believing this Christian stuff because I couldn't cope with real life? Know that if your hope is in Jesus, you are hoping in a real person. A real person, a real God, who is in a present state of being raised. Hey, the gospel is historically reliable. I love how Tim Keller summarizes this. It's so wise, he says, nothing in history can be proven the way we can prove something in a laboratory. As a chemist I'm tracking. However, the resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact much more fully attested to than most other events of ancient history we take for granted. Every effort to account for the birth of the church, apart from Jesus' resurrection, flies in the face of what we know about first century history and culture. Notice this well. If you don't short-circuit the process with philosophical bias against the possibility of miracle, do we not do that? The resurrection of Jesus has the most evidence for it. Know that on Easter Sunday, friend. Cling to the gospel because it's the epicenter of God's plan. It's historically reliable. And then here's the third and final reason. Why hold fast to the gospel like that, that man on the rope? Hold fast to the gospel because the gospel is the only explanation for our spiritual growth. Okay, we need to remember, having just done a little history lesson, okay, that the gospel is not a collection of facts. It's not a collection of facts and that sense it's altogether different than all sorts of historically reliable events okay Alexander the Great is historically reliable Michelangelo is historically reliable Christopher Columbus is historically reliable but only the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God into salvation that so you can know about Alexander the Great You can know about Christopher Columbus. You can know about Michelangelo. But all that will do is help you pass a social studies exam. Okay? Only the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ can transform you from the inside out. It is historically reliable, but it's more than historical fact. It's the only explanation for spiritual growth in our life. It's true for Paul, true for Corinthians, true for us. Look at look at verse nine. What does Paul say? Goes in a little autobiography here. Verse nine, for I, Paul says, am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. By the way, Paul wasn't kidding. He really did that. You know, he says, if you, if you read Book of Acts 29, that he persecuted Christians in raging fury. And then, as a result of an experience, one day on the road to Damascus, Paul went from that to being the most fearless evangelist and church planter and defender of the Christian faith in the world at the time. Explain that. Explain that. You can't, apart from the power of the gospel. The Lord had mercy on Paul. Verse 10, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me friend if you're a christian that's your story too you are who you are because of the grace of god that is at work in you okay transforming you day by day year by year more into the image of jesus christ Now, notice what paul says in verse 11 whether then it was i or they so we preach and so you believed what does he mean by that means that the only reason he was able to preach the truth of the gospel Is because god had already worked in his heart through the power of the gospel And the only reason that the corinthians were able to receive the truth of the gospel Is because god had already worked in their heart through the power of the gospel by the grace of god corinthians I am who I am You are who you are in king's way by the grace of god. We are who we are We're just like them If you're a Christian, to conclude, I want you to think back to who you were before you knew Jesus, before you came to faith in Christ, and just consider the ways that God has changed you. I don't know if that happened four months ago, 40 years ago. But if you're a Christian, you're not the same. You can't be. Why? Because the power of the gospel has been working in you. You're not the same. So I want to encourage you, if your spouse is not what God says they should be. If your children are not what God says they should be, if your, if your heart is not what God says it should be, if our church is not yet what we want it to be, then only one course of action is appropriate. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and the hope of the gospel And the ways that He is working all around us and inside of us. So, what does that mean? It means because of the resurrection, you better not be hoping in your spouse, you better not be hoping in your kids, you better not be hoping in yourself, and you better not be hoping in your pastors. Hope in God. Open God. Why cling and hold fast to the gospel? Because it's the centerpiece, the epicenter of God's saving plan. Because it's historically reliable in every respect. And because it is the only explanation for any spiritual fruit in your life. To be a Christian is to hold fast to the gospel and never let go. That's what it means. That's what it means. If you're going to be a Christian, then you need to hold fast to the gospel and never let go. No matter what happens, no matter what you feel like, no matter what people say, no matter what's going on around you, no matter what what doubts start to invade your mind, you hold fast to that rope, Christian. You will not be disappointed. You won't be disappointed. And you won't be the same. And I think that few experiences help us remember that, to remember the matter of first importance in a more helpful way than than hearing stories. I love to hear stories. I love to hear stories like, like Paul, Paul's story, and I love to hear stories today. And this morning, we have a chance to hear a story of how the gospel has radically changed somebody. And so I'd like to invite my brother Elmer Elmer, where are you? Hey, bud. Come on up on the stage, pal. Can we welcome Elmer?
1: challenge the non-Spanish speakers to try and understand what I say. (laughs) Joven, tiene un carro, sano, atlético, vive bien, su familia vive bien, trabajador. Esas cosas Son los que muchos podían haber pensado de mí. Y pueden haber asumido que vivo la vida perfecta. Entonces, ¿qué le podía faltar a este joven? You guys good? No. <laughs> i just can actually wrote it in English, too. Young, has a car, healthy, athletic, lives well, smart, family is doing well, hardworking. Those are things many may have thought of me and may have assumed that I lived the perfect life. So what could this young man be missing? Me esforzaba por ser tantas cosas para complacer a los que me rodean y sentir una sensación de plenitud. Afortunadamente, Dios siempre me ha bendecido, pero no me sentía así de esta manera. Teniendo todas estas cosas, me sentí vacío. Esas cosas no llenaban mi corazón. En ese tiempo solía caminar tarde por la noche. Esto era todos los días por aproximadamente un año. Iba a los parques, a lagos, a donde sea para estar solo. En esos lugares me estuve pensando en mi vida y cómo me sentí tan vacío y perdido a pesar de tener todas estas cosas. I strive to have all of these things to please all those around me to feel a sense of fulfillment. Thankfully, God has always blessed me, but I didn't feel that way. While having all these things, I felt empty. These things didn't complete me. I found myself going on late-night walks. This was every day for about a year. Every day, I would go to parks, lakes, anywhere to be alone. In these places, I stopped and thought about my life and how I felt so empty and lost, even though I had everything going for me. En enero del año 2015, conocí a una mujer increíble, a Jocelyn. Recuerdo recuerdo haberla visto en el primer día de clases, pero hice el error de sentarme al otro lado de la escuela, de la clase. Así que, ¿qué pude hacer? Asegurarme que la siguiente clase estuviera al lado de ella. Durante el año pasado, nos hicimos buenos amigos, y hace cinco días me dio el honor de ser mi novia ella fue la que me invitó a la iglesia después de meses de conocernos hermanas y hermanas dios usa, dios usa cualquier excusa cualquier cosa para conseguir que nos acerquemos a él ya traté de ya se trata de una tragedia un evento especial como navidad pascua una boda o tal vez otra persona pero esto lo hace él para acercarnos a él en January of 2015 I met an amazing girl, Jocelyn. I remember seeing her in class the first day of school, but made the foolish mistake of sitting on the other side of class.
0: Yes, it was foolish.
1: So what did I do? I made sure I sat near her next class. Over the past year, we became good friends, and as of five days ago, she gave me the honor of being my girlfriend. She's actually the one who invited me to church a couple of months into our friendship. Brothers and sisters, God uses anything to get us near him, whether it be a tragedy, Christmas, Easter, or another individual. Recuerdo que estaba indeciso cuando empecé a llegar a la iglesia. Era el último en llegar y el primero en salir. Pero esa iglesia se sentía diferente. Nunca me sentí presionado, presionado. me sentía en casa y bienvenido. Después de pasar tiempo aquí... Me empecé a quedar más tarde hablando con muchos de ustedes, que finalmente llevó al hermano Damián a invitarme a su casa. En la casa de Damián hablamos de mi vida, sobre el estrés de tomar seis clases, mis dos puestos de trabajo en el momento, situaciones familiares y expectaciones que mi familia tenía de mí y lo que yo pensaba que quería para mi vida. Después de un rato hablando, Damián y yo hablamos acerca de mí aceptando a Jesucristo como mi salvador. Y el sofá de su casa, a Jesús. Amen. I remember being hesitant when I first started attending the church. I would be the last one in here and the first one out. This church felt different from others, though. I never felt pressured. I felt welcomed and at home. After spending time here, I found myself staying later and spending more time with many of you which eventually led to Brother Damien inviting me to his house to talk. God was definitely at work. At Brother Damien's house, we spoke about my life, about the stress of taking 21 credits at the time, about having two jobs, my family situation, their expectations for me, and the expectations I had for myself. After a while of talking, Damien and I spoke about me accepting Jesus Christ. And on his couch at his house, I accepted Jesus. Entonces, ¿qué me faltaba? ¿Por qué me sentía tan vacío? La razón se debe de, uh, de que inclusive si tuviera todas esas cosas, si tuviera todo el mundo en mis manos, si tuviera toda la salud, nunca se compararía con la alegría de tener a Jesucristo en mi vida. De saber que soy salvo, de saber que Él murió en la cruz por mí. Porque mis acciones solas no serían suficientes. Finalmente, todas estas razones y otras más son porque yo he decido bautizarme. Para enseñar públicamente lo que ya acepté en mi corazón. Por lo tanto, si ustedes si ustedes están cuestionando su fe en Jesucristo, uh, no es no es una casualidad que está aquí. Dios lo puso aquí para que se acerque a él. Hermanas y hermanos, Dios es, está trabajando en sus vidas. A es uh, oh, complicado. So, what was I missing? Why did I feel that emptiness? regardless of having many things going for me. The reason is because even if I had the world to claim, if I had everyone cheering on me, if I had an amazing health, it would never compare to the joy of knowing that Jesus Christ is my Savior, Amen, of knowing that I am saved, of knowing that He died in that cross for me because my deeds alone can never be enough. To include all of these reasons and more are why I decided to get baptized today, to show publicly what I've already accepted in my heart. So if you are questioning accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not coincidentally here. He's calling on you, brothers and sisters. God is at work. Gracias. Thank you.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. oh. Omer wants to be baptized. As a public profession of his faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to go down there and baptize Elmer with others. And then um, Kaylee Hagen will also be baptized. So you can turn your attention over here.